Today on the Big Metal Breakdown, we talk the band members, the albums, and the history of A Day to Remember. A Day to Remember, in my opinion, have revolutionized the sound of metalcore slash pop punk slash this weird uh, pizza punk type, my friends are cooler than yours and my hometown sucks and so do you type of music. Their Spotify bio says about them, over the course of the past several years, each of America, of America, each of uh, A Day to Remember's releases have hit number one on Billboard's rock, indie, slash alternative charts. They've also sold uh, more than a million units, racked up over 800 million Spotify streams and 500 million YouTube views. Two gold-selling albums and singles and sold out entire continental tours, including their own curated self-help festival. Amassing a global fan base whose members number in the millions, all of which explains why Rolling Stones called them an artist you need to know. In other words, their creative process has worked and worked well. Their self-help festival began in March, on March 22, 2014 in San Bernardino, California. Jeremy and the other guys from the band says that the festival was created to represent the genre as a whole. The genre being metalcore, pop punk, uh, the, I would say, probably softer side of the metal genre. Um, at least as far as we're talking Cannibal Corpse and uh, Municipal Waste and things like that. Not quite that heavy. But uh, the name self-help came from the idea that a lot of fans online have stated that the type of music that they listen to being uh, uh, a day to remember, being uh, Bring the Horizon and different types of bands like that all within that subgenre, their, their music and others alike have helped these kids through their rough times. And I know for me, getting to know uh, a day to remember when I was younger, it allowed me to really dig deep into their discography and it allowed me to from the first time I experienced them in middle school um, all the way from the homesick album and we'll talk about that in just a bit from the homesick album on excuse me we get to see a really great progression in their sound and in the way that they carry themselves and how they handle a serious situation like possibly a lawsuit uh, that's a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, but let's talk about the artists themselves, the band members, the guys behind the music, if you will. Rhythm guitarist Neil Westfall, born on Christmas Day, 1987, in Ocala, Florida. He was influenced by Blink-182 as a child and loved the riff from the song, What's My Age Again? You know that, that, that type of thing. I'm not very good at imitating guitar, but you'll forgive me, uh, inspired heavily by the 1974 Randy Rhodes Gibson Les Paul Custom, he uses the guitar, the ESP NW44. It's a beautiful, beautiful white guitar with a nice black trim all the way around the body. Uh, and as you guys can see here, if you are watching on YouTube, if you're not watching on YouTube, go ahead and check us out. It's, uh, it's the same format. Obviously, the audio is a little bit different. If you are watching on YouTube now and you haven't checked out our audio version of the podcast, it's about 15 to 20 minutes longer than the YouTube page, and we get to do a little more fun stuff. I get to have a little clubhouse session with the listeners, so check that out if you have not. Uh, he's also used guitars such as the ESP EC400, the Fender Jim Root Jazzmaster, the ESP LTD407 Baritone, and the Fender Custom Shop single Humbucker Jaguar. Now these next few guys we don't have much information on just based off the fact that they're probably pretty private with their lives, um, but we do have a little bit of information on the instruments that they play as well as how they entered the band. Uh, bassist Josh Woodard, he uh, was born May 29th, 1986 from Orlando, Florida. He has used such uh, bass guitars as the Ernie Ball Music Man Stingray, the Stingray 8H, the Fender American Deluxe Jazz Bass, Fender Getty Lee Jazz Bass, 
and Fender Mark Hoppus Jazz Bass. He's going to be a pretty big fan of Ernie Ball and Fender from what I can see. Uh, during this time in their, uh, I guess, discography or their, their career as uh, a band, he is, as of right now, using the Ernie Ball Music Man Stingray, as you can see to my left. Um, drummer Bobby Scruggs, uh, not much known about old Bobby, uh, except that he is from Miami Beach, Florida, and he now resides in Ocala, Florida, where he works as a professional chef. Now we'll get why we'll get to why he is no longer in the band a little bit later. Vocalist Jeremy McKinnon was born December 17, 1985, in Ocala, Florida, and grew up with two sisters. McKinnon's interest in music came as a result of hanging out with his friend's local band. McKinnon was inspired to write and play heavy music by a local band, Seventh Star. McKinnon's first band was a ska band called All For Nothing, before joining guitarist Tom Denny and drummer Bobby Scruggs to form A Day to Remember. McKinnon cites punk rock band Millen Collin as his biggest musical influence and cites ska punk band Less Than Jake for his influences on stage. He says, They were having fun during the concert. They were not super serious, but they were not so goofy so as to appear ridiculous. Simply, they created a great atmosphere, and I've always loved this. When I saw the Flaming Lips and Rammstein in Germany, that was the craziest concert I had ever seen, and I'm just trying to combine and put into practice all of the amazing things that I've loved over the years. McKinnon follows also a straight-edge lifestyle. On to lead guitarist Tom Denny, born November 23, 1982, he is from Ocala, Florida, and he began playing guitar at the age of 10 years old. He would later be part of the band called Two Days Too Late, and he would also be in there with drummer Bobby Scruggs. During the time in which the inception of A Day to Remember happened, Denny called up Jeremy McKinnon, who was in another local band at the time, and asked them to join the band along with Tom himself and Bobby and they decided to just start jamming together and they started using all these different influences Blink-182 and all these uh, ska and pop punk bands and metalcore bands from the local area to really develop their sound they pulled all these different guys they pulled Neil they pulled uh, uh, Jeremy and they got together and they started making a little bit of music they started making a little bit of their own sound. Debuting with the album, and their name was Treason, released on May 10th, 2005 through Indianola Records, it followed their second self-release EP, which was produced that same year. Several songs of the album were written during the band members' teenage years, recorded in the producer's bedroom, and the album contains audio excerpts from several films. I know, at, at least specifically to one song, those, uh, there's a scene in Boondock Saints where they uh, recite the one of the Catholic prayers, uh, and shepherds we shall be for thee, my Lord, for thee, and so on. So uh, they liked to use a little bit of the old school thing of adding little excerpts and clips to their music for that first album. The album has since sold over 10,000 copies. A re-recorded version of the album titled Old Record was released on October in October of 2008 by Victory Records. The band members later admitted that they were forced to do the re-recording at the request of the label owner, Tony Brimmel. The reissue charted a number 16 on the Heat Seekers album chart in the US. After releasing their first album, and their name was Treason in 2005, a Remember went on tour in the US and in, in the summer of 2005. Neil Westfall had something to say about Indianola Records. He said, uh, Indianola didn't have money to support a growing band. We wanted to find someone who could support us and be willing to do a video, like a recording budget, working with a producer, a studio we wanted to work with, whatever. Indianola couldn't do that. So Josh had a friend who put, in, uh, put the band in contact with an employee at Victory Records who signed A Day to Remember in 2006 prior to release of their second album, For Those Who Have Heart. Woodard said, a friend of mine said he had the AIM uh, screen name and that he had the AIM screen name, the AIM screen name of someone at Victory Records. I didn't believe him, but I still started communicating with the guy. We'd IM'd back and forth for about six months. Now you gotta think, those that may not know what IMing is, it's called instant messaging. Uh, it's something that used to happen much before <laughs> direct messaging and uh, text messaging was a thing. 
So he said, we aimed back and forth for about six months, and it happened to be, and they happened to be where we were playing, in a town outside of Chicago. It was our first time we'd ever played in Illinois, yet the 50 or 60 kids that were there were singing along to our tunes like they'd been fans all of their lives. Several of the album's songs appeared on the band's MySpace profile before the release of the band's newest album, For Those Who Have Heart, which was released January 22, 2007, and was their first album with Victory Records. For the album, the band had a lineup change swapping drummer Bobby Scruggs for Alex Shellnut, born August 15, 1990. When the band asked him to join to head out on tour, his response was, Ask my mom, because at the time he was only 15 years old. Surprisingly, Miss Shellnut was cool with it, so uh, a day to remember headed out on tour with their newest member. At 15 years old, he's out touring with a major band. Well, maybe not major at the time, but they were going out on a legitimate tour. When asked about his influence, he said, Travis Barker would probably be the main guy since, we, since he made me want to start playing in the first place. His stamina is another level. His diversity in genres and styles blows my mind. Mark Castillo from Bury Your Dead was my main influence for double bass. I had a lot of jamming along with the Cover Your Tracks album until I knew every kick hit. I also love watching gospel drummers like Aaron Spears, Stanley Randolph, and Tony Royster Jr. They know how to play groove that will make your head bounce. Aside from that, the drummers we uh, get to tour with have influenced and taught me a lot along the way. Nowadays, Alex uses an SJC custom drum kit and accessories, as well as Remo hardware, Zildjian cymbals, and Vic Firth sticks. The music video for Since You've Been Gone, a cover of the popular Kelly Clarkson song, was released on Jan in July of 2007 after spending some time on the band's MySpace page. For those who have heart, charted at number 17 on the Heat Seekers album chart in the U.S., and the music video for The Plot to Bomb the Panhandle was released a month later. Recorded and mixed at Zing Studios by producer Eric Arena, the album was re-released in February of 2008 with additional tracks and a bonus DVD. The DVD featured a performance of the band's Live at the Capitol in the band's hometown of California. The music video for A Danger and Starting a Fire was released in that same month. A day to remember were pressed for a new album by their record label Victory in early 2008. Bassist Joshua Woodard said that the band weren't ready to record a new album at the time. This resulted in a re-release of their previous album, For Those Who Have Heart, with additional tracks. Released on February 3rd, 2009, Homesick placed at number 21 on Billboard's top 200 listings and at number 1 on the top independent albums chart. Planned for a mid-February 2009 release by Victory before being moved forward two weeks, the album sold 22,000 copies in its first week and charted at number 21 on the U.S. Billboard 200. It also charted at number 165 in the UK. It was featured in Rolling Stone's top 40 albums that month, hitting number 21. As of July 2010, the album has sold over 200,000 copies. Now, for a metalcore pop-punk band, that is pretty fucking significant. The band contributed to the track on Pop Goes Punk, or Punk Goes Pop, I always mix that up, Punk Goes Pop 2 record from Fearless, covering the phrase, Over My Head, Cable Car, which is an excellent, excellent cover. A Day to Remember is one of those bands that does really great jobs of just covering songs without it sounding so completely unoriginal that you're like, is this even the same song? Or it's not just a blatant copy of the original. <clears throat> Another band that comes to mind that does that really well is uh, Disturbed, I would say. There are a couple other newer bands that do that as well. But uh, A Day to Remember was one of those guys that where they just kind of threw a cover out there and knocked it out of the park both times they did it. In June 2nd, 2009, the band announced that Tom Denny had left the group, and the band stated that Denny left because he wanted to focus on his marriage, his family, and his recording studio. Even though his, one with, even though his run with the performing had ended, Denny has since remained a part of the writing process of all new material. Denny was replaced by four-letter line guitarist Kevin Scaff, who was born June 8, 1985, in Owatonna, Minnesota. Around the age of 12, he saw Stevie Ray Vaughan live at the El Mocambo VHS. Something about the experience made him want to pick up the guitar. He is a PRS guitar-featured artist, and he plays a wide variety of guitars. He's played a Gibson Les Paul, a Les Paul Del uh, Duplicate, not Delicate, ESP LTD EC Series, EC1000, 
a uh, Sur Modern Custom, a PRS Hollow Body 2, a PRS SE 277 Baritone, a Martin D28 Acoustic, and a Fender Jim Root Strat. A Downfall of Us All was released as downloadable content for the Rock Band series of video game and New Jersey Long Island, or New Jersey Legion, I always mess, mess that up and uh, start talking about the alcoholic beverage, but a New Jersey Legion iced tea was released as a download for the Guitar Hero World Tour Pack. On December 16th, the band released a holiday-oriented single, Right Where You Want Me To Be, and a music video was also made for the song as well and released around the same time. In July four, on July 14th, MTV.com posted the music video for the band's latest single from Homesick, Have Faith In Me, on their website. What Separates Me From You, ADTR's fourth album, was recorded in Ocala, Florida, with producer Chad Gilbert, who also produced Homesick. What Separates Me From You was recorded from May to July 23rd, 2010, in three different locations. The Wade Studios in Ocala, Florida, the back of a bus with no AC, in Germany and a closet in New Jersey, the latter of which were where the backing vocals for All Signs Point to Lauderdale were recorded. The album was mixed by David Bindeth and Dan Corneff and produced by Gilbert with assistance by Wade and McKinnon. Wade also produced the band's previous album Homesick and it was the first album featuring Scaff on guitar following Denny's departure after Homesick. According to Victory, it was claimed that the band was set to release their fourth studio album titled What Separates Me From You on October 26th. On September 20th, a day to remember announced in a live video through Victory's website the name of their new album, What Separates Me From You. When They then revealed the cover of the art of the album. The album's release was delayed a few weeks and was finally released November 15th, 2010. On July 6, 2011, the band showcased the official music video for their first single taken from the album, All I Want, through the MTV premiere. The video features uh, musicians from groups including A Day to Remember's former lead guitarist Tom Denny, as well as Vic Fuentes, uh, Pete Wentz, Dallas Taylor, and Tim Lambesis. Uh, it's kind of funny to see Tim Lambesis on things even back in the past when I went and watched the uh, music video. I know that the uh, whole court case and the controversy is somewhat over with Tim Lambesis. If you don't know who Tim Lambesis is, I apologize. He is the uh, lead singer, former and still now the lead singer of uh, As I Lay Dying, who, I don't know how to, best way to say this, he tried to kill his wife. Um, yeah, they were a Christian band, quote unquote. Um, at least that was what they gave off the vibe of, but yeah, there was this whole big issue with him trying to uh, uh, contract kill his wife. And uh, it was a definitely an interesting time in the rock and metal industry. Uh, on June 7th, the band released the music video for their second single from the album, All Signs Point to Lauderdale. On January, in January 2012, guitarist Kevin Staff said the band would be recording after they had finished touring in early May, and it would be hopefully be done by July or August with the album out during the same year. February 27, 2012, the band released Second Sucks as the fourth single from What Separates Me From You. On April 4th, McKinnon hinted via Twitter the band might be recording for their new album. On May 10th, the band said live on stage that the band's new album after What Separates Me From You would be titled Common Courtesy. Shortly after this, the band started recording for the new album on the 14th of May. On March 18th, McKinnon announced the new album, Common Courtesy, was complete and the tracking process and was going to be mixed. On August 23rd, the album was announced for release on October 8th, 2013. A few days prior to the release, the band won the rights to self-release the album with the band uh, contractually obligated to owing victory at least two more albums. On August 25th, Scaff had confirmed the album's title. Despite a statement on October 17, 2012 by producer Gilbert stating that the album might be finished within a week by the time Violence Enough is Enough was released, the album was only partly recorded. In September, the band said that they were working with Chad Gilbert while in the middle of recording Common Courtesy, the band played a hometown gig on November 21st. December 21st, the band released the track Violence Enough is Enough on their website, which was confirmed to appear on Common Courtesy. McKinnon said the music video was supposed to be filmed and released for, 
for violence enough is enough on the same day, but it was just turned it just didn't turn out that way. We're trying to get things done as fast as possible, but it just hasn't been working out. McKinnon said via tweet posted February 18th, 2013 that the band were still working on the album uh, in an interview with radio.com. In 2014, two songs from the Homesick album, A Downfall of Us All, The Downfall of Us All, I always fucked that up, and If It Means a Lot to You were certified gold by the RIAA. The album was certified silver in the UK by the BPI in 2015 and gold in the United States the following year. Now, on to bad vibrations. At the start of 2015, the group rented a cabin in Horsetooth Reservoir located in Dakota Hogback Ridge, west of Fort Collins, Colorado. The cabin was surrounded by woods. If the name and place of that didn't give you any indication, enough. According to McKinnon, the group just wrote together in a room, which was a pop was which was the polar opposite of the last three albums we've made. Typically, McKinnon would have some material saved to show the group. However, this time around, he didn't have any. The band demoed all the material they had live in studio with producer Stevenson and Jason Livemore, or Liver, Liver, Livermore, at the Blasting Room in Fort Collins, Colorado. McKinnon spoke to Team Rock about his initial concern uh, when preparing to record the album, stating that he was terrified and stuck in this weird, high-stress mindset every day. Selecting the material to be recorded for Bad, bad Vibrations, the group narrowed the number of songs down to those they loved the most regardless of genre. Previously, McKinnon would be a little bit more in control, having co-produced several of the band's past albums, however. For Bad Vibrations, he took a step back and let Stevenson be in control. McKinnon went on to describe the album as containing an element of returning to our roots and that the album was their first sense for those who have heart to feature full con contributions from all the members of the band. For bad, for bad Vibrations, it was the first time since for those who have heart that the group had written together in a room. While some of the group's previous albums were written while on tour, McKinnon considered it important to me and the rest of the band to get everybody involved in the room, properly involved, and to just write a record together. On September 30, 2015, rhythm guitarist Neil Westfall announced in an interview with Ultimate Guitar that the band was casually working on a new material without prospect of a release date. On March 9, 2016, Paranoia was uh, premiered through Beats One. The song was recorded with Bill Stevenson of Descendants uh, slash All. It was released as a single in, on uh, March 11th. A music video was released on that same day, directed by Ethan Ladder. On June 2nd, 2016, the song titled Bad Vibrations was released alongside a music video. It was also announced that the uh, song would be the title track of their sixth album, Bad Vibrations. The album was released on their independent label with the help of Epitaph Records. Bad Vibrations was originally set to be released on August 19th through ADTR Records, with distribution handled by Epitaph. However, the album was pushed back to September 2nd release date due to custom cut album casing taking longer than expected to manufacture. It was made available for streaming the day prior. The album debuted at number two in the United States on September 6, 2016, selling over 62,000 62, copies in its first week. The album also reached number one in Australia, number six in the United Kingdom, number seven in Austria and Germany, number nine in Canada, number 17 in Switzerland, and number 23 in New Zealand. Now, on to the triple threat. Now, triple threat is a new thing that we are doing here. It is three weird or interesting facts that come from the artists, that come from the band members uh, each week. Today's triple threat, we start with number one. Jeremy McKinnon appeared on the show Pawn Stars. You know that weird show with the bald dude and the fat greasy guy and his son who for some reason's hair is slicked way too back and then the old dude that passed away recently but was like old and crotchety. It was on History Channel. You know, it was pretty popular. The guy had a had a friend for everything. He, uh, I got a guy. I'll call him. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. So, he appeared on the show Pawn Stars selling his 1930s acoustic four-string Martin guitar. He won five grand for the rare guitar initially, but uh, he ended up only getting about 2,500 for it. Um, really, just because the guitar itself was beat to hell, it was missing the uh, parts of the bridge. It was cracked and beat up. But the simple fact that it was a Martin guitar 
really made the difference in how much the guitar was actually worth because Martin guitars were Christian Martin was phenomenal in how he made guitars and uh, the fact that he only got 2500 for it kind of goes along with the whole theme of the show uh, Pawn Stars is a pawn shop they have to make money so therefore they have to downcharge fucking everybody when it comes to how much these things are actually worth it's kind of like GameStop in that way if you take a video game to GameStop they're gonna they're gonna screw you on your return they're gonna screw you on your trade-in we'll give you 50 cents for this Call of Duty game but it's brand new yeah but you see there's a scuff on the case yeah that, that's that's basically what it boils down to uh, Running Man Records number two Running Man Records was founded by McKinnon and Woodard in partnership with Epitaph and they have signed up the band Viara. It could be Vera. Uh, Viara. I didn't check out any of their music. Um, I need to do that. But as of right now, they only have one band signed to Running Man Records. I don't know if there's going to be any more. I didn't find a whole lot of information, really, on, on the record label as a whole. I think they might have a website, something like that. But as of right now there's just that band so I don't know how well it's doing there wasn't a whole lot of uh, information I could really find on the subject uh, number three on December 15th 2011 it was announced that a data remember planned on pressing charges against their label victory due to their breach of contract legal action had reportedly been initiated on May 31st of that year with the band claiming victory owed them over $75,000 in royalties Victory had said that the lawsuit was actually about the band's re, uh, refusal to fulfill their five-album contractual uh, commitment and their desire to move to a major label. A data member gave Alternative Press this statement. A data member would like to make it clear that they did not announce nor seek any attention regarding their ongoing suit with Victory Records. This information has been public record since May of 2011, and they have no intention of speaking publicly or disparagingly regarding their di disagreement with Victory. A data member will continue to release music for their fans and are looking forward to touring in 2012. I think I gave you guys the correct date. Yeah, December 15, 2011. Uh, McKinnon said about Victory, the only thing they've hel held above us was the right to put out this album, and we won the right and put it out ourselves. Now it can go to the jury, and uh, good luck having a jury of random people agree to that two albums that were sold separately not count as an album. Good luck with that. The band self-released the album uh, digitally on October 8th. A physical edition with additional tracks was released on November 25th by the band's own label, ADTR Records. To this day, the band and their fans hold the same distaste to victory, an example being during their set of the 2017 Self-Help Fest in Philadelphia, their fans shouted, Fuck Victory Records! audibly between two songs and received praise and a personal thanks from McKinnon and the band. Now, as far as the album that we're talking about, it's actually Common Courtesy, and there's a lot of weird controversy around it, and based off of my research and the notes that I've found, Victory's really been screwing with them their entire career. As soon as they signed to Victory, Victory was just constantly screwing them. If you were around in the scene around that time, you knew that there was a lot a lot of a day to remember merch I mean like an insane amount and I'm not talking just hot topic shit I'm talking it they in 2016 when I think I went to Warp Tour they were selling a day to remember shit and a day to remember wasn't even playing I mean there it was just a matter of how much they, they were so overexposed in their merch department so the fact that they were suing for $75,000 in royalties makes complete sense and then because of all this controversy and because they were held up in a lawsuit and all this stuff they weren't allowed to release common courtesy until later when they found out that that part only that part of the case was being handled and was allowed to take place in that simple fact we have to realize that this whole dichotomy between the record label and the artist and how they have to interact together is a very weird thing 
and now as we get into this whole thing of where album sales are lessening and streams are becoming more popular and you can't really make money much money off of streams um, a lot of record labels are starting to do these 360 deals if you've heard anything about these 360 deals now record labels are starting to get sections and pieces and percentages of not only the record sales but also your merch your ticket sales your public appearances all this type of shit so if you're in a if you're in a band as of right now do your best to avoid a record label I know they can allow a lot of great opportunities but the simple fact is is that like I hope to do you can take this shit self-produce it the best way you can in hopes in hopes that people will see it and it will get bigger and, and grow and become this one big crazy thing as of right now they have their own record label and they've been releasing off that record label since the common courtesy album um, now as far as their influences go we talked a little bit about it, each individual influences we didn't really talk about Denny's much uh, Denny, who is a founding member of the band, he may no longer be a performing member of the band, but he's definitely still a part of the band as a whole. Denny has stated that Nirvana was a major influence on him, adding that if it wasn't for Nirvana, I honestly wouldn't be here. Other inspirations include country music artists such as George Jones and Johnny Cash. Old No Show Jones. Man, if you don't know about uh, No Show Jones, definitely check out some information on that obviously we're not going to talk about it on this channel because he is a country artist and that's not what we do here on the big metal breakdown drew russ a member of the band seventh star was the hometown booking agent around the time of adr adtr's inception he is also now one of the video directors for the band drew would bring around a lot of different hardcore bands around the ocala underground scene having this mix of Heavy bands coming through the local scene and being heavily influenced by the sound of bands like Blink-182, NoFX, and No Use for a Name, we not only get a wide range of subgenres from ADTR, but we also get many different lyrical influences and song structures. ADTR capitalized greatly on this smorgasbord of hardcore, punk, metalcore, and pop punk. Starting out with the sound rooted heavily in pop punk and alternative with And Their Name Is Treason and For Those Who Have Heart, for those who have heart, began to slowly incorporate metalcore with songs like There's a Danger in Starting a Fire and A Plot to Bomb the Panhandle. With what I would consider not quite their heaviest record, but definitely their most notable and metalcore heavy, Homesick, the two following albums, What Separates Me From You and Common Courtesy, would show similar sound with increased technicality and growth in musicianship. They've towed this line very well between metalcore and pop punk slash alternative, with these two previous albums uh, being their and being with their most recent uh, being their most explorative and wide in their coverage of subgenre, Bad Vibrations by name incorporates a lot more modern takes on what we would consider metalcore, more breakdowns, more melodies, and with some added sampling here and there. Not to say that they haven't done any of this before, but like a lot of successful bands. Uh, from their era uh, who have stayed relevant today they've changed with the times and have kept their fans interested they've gone as far as to collaborate with arguably the most popular DJ of today none other than Marshmallow their songs rescue the song rescue me uh, that I think is a song that anyone can enjoy I know for me being a fan of very heavy music um, death metal hardcore punk what of of that theme a song like rescue me was actually a, a kind of a, a it's like a cold drink on a really hot day it's not something you would expect to be delicious but it's so good going down um i i personally actually used to be a a, a big dance music fan an edm fan so i have that bit of influence in there but as far as uh, the actual song goes it's actually got a lot of that classic pop punk influence um, they kind of went back to their roots on that one and added it in to a very interesting updated song that you wouldn't expect to hear from the band alone so allowing their themselves to collaborate with Marshmello and and put music out there they've uh, allowed 
for people that are not used to their sound to get a little snippet of what they're all about. And just like we talked about last week on the Audio Versions podcast, check that out, shameless plug. Um, just like uh, like we talked about last week with uh, Post Malone's new album with Ozzy, uh, Marshmallow has kind of allowed uh, A Day to Remember to reach the ears of a lot more people because they released this song on his Joy Time 3 album, the one that was just released. Uh, interestingly enough, the band has also released a new song called Degenerates, um, and as of right now, that one is pretty excellent as well. That one is, I believe, more than likely just going to be a single for their m- most recent album that they plan to come out with. I would hope. We don't know a whole lot of information yet on that, but we'll see. We will see. We will see. But before we get out of here, let's talk about the in-between, and today I am excited. We're doing something a little different. I know we change stuff up on this podcast every once in a while, but today we're going to talk about, for one, we're going to get a song that popped up about two weeks ago for me that I meant to talk about last week, but we were so jam-packed full of shit that we're going to talk about it now. We are talking today, today, about Bite Down by Gideon. soon-to-be-released album, Out of Control, set to release October 11th of this year, just in time to scare all the little kitties and normies off your doorstep with this Halloween with their sure-to-be-some-filthy-ass riff work. Um, this album, I am I am, I am, am foaming at the mouth waiting for this album. I'm so excited. Um, Gideon have been through an odd transitioning period, uh, one that I feel I probably have been as well. Uh, you can actually check out an, a great article. Um, where's that article at? Let me pull that up real quick. It is a great article on, I believe, Kerrang. Yes, on Kerrang about uh, their fight with their beliefs and how this upcoming record is supposed to be just a breath of fresh air for Gideon itself. Um I know that the singles that they released last year, No Love, No One, and Too Deep, were filthy. Uh, Take Me was their newest one right before Bite Down. Take Me was a nasty one, and hopefully both Bite Down and Take Me end up on this new album that's set to come out in the next couple weeks slash month or so. Um, But Bite Down, as you've heard, is just fucking filthy and deep and riff filled it almost sounds like a mess but you can hear that that riff just come through out of nowhere and it just punches you in the fucking mouth it is a beat down song if you have ever heard one man and this upcoming album is gonna be phenomenal if it's anything like their previous one cold it's gonna be fast it's gonna be hard it's going to be heavy, and it's going to make you want to fucking bounce. And that's what I look for in Gideon. I experienced Gideon the first time at a uh, Fit for a King show a couple years ago, and they got the crowd more hype than any other band on the lineup, and it, not something you'd expect from a middler. Like from the, the band that's th- third or fourth in, 
you wouldn't expect them to get everybody that fucking hype, but the whole room was shaking. Everybody was bouncing so hard. It was so fucking cool. Now, on to our next song on the big, on the in between, not the big metal breakdown. This is the big metal breakdown. This is what you're listening to. Welcome, if I haven't said welcome already. Um, today, we're actually going to talk about not any original songs, but we're going to talk about a YouTube channel that I actually found whilst doing all of my research. Um, the name of the channel is a guy named William Morancy. Uh, it might be Moranci. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. M-A-R-A-N-C-I. Uh, I will link his YouTube page down in the description. But this guy does what uh, a pretty decent amount of YouTubers who know how to use uh, GarageBand or all these audio editing softwares. He's made some mashups and some really dope ones at that. Uh, he takes the interesting interesting thing about his is that he's taken songs that us metalheads know and love and have mixed them with very popular songs from actually around the time in which the song is released or just a song that is prolific enough to have lasted as long as it has. The example that I have today for you guys is Britney Spears' Toxic, but it's actually Change in the House of Flies by Deftones. That was Britney Spears' Toxic, but it's Changing the House of Flies by Deftones by William Moranchi, or Morancy. I apologize if I've gotten your name incorrect, but that's not the only thing that he has on there. If you guys have not checked out his page yet, he's also got songs such as Tool's Stink Fist, but it's We're Never Getting Back Together by Taylor Swift, Sisms of a Downs, BYOB, but it's Take Me Home, Country Road. Uh, the iCarly intro, but it's Killing in the Name by Rage Against the Machine. The White Stripes Seven Nation Army, but it's SpongeBob SquarePants intro. And other songs just like that. It's something that I actually really love covers of songs. And so seeing not only uh, a different perspective on a song, but in the case of matchups, you get this really interesting thing. You're like, oh. Well, that makes sense that those lyrics may not go with how that song sounds, kind of like it's Foster the People's Pumped Up Kicks, but it's also 
like, oh shit, this is like, this makes sense. And when you get to, the first one I saw was actually Bulls on Parade, but it's Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. That one was what introduced me to it. And then I found a couple of the other ones and I love, I love fun mashups because it's something that I wanted to do when I was making music, um, as well as it's just fun to hear the transitions and how I, I personally don't like when they have to like slow down the song significantly. Cause then it's like, they tried too hard to make things work when they could have just worked a different way. But William luckily does a great job of going, okay, this song has the same BPM slash tempo <clears throat> and cadence and things like that. We're going to combine these two and it's a pretty interesting matchup. So a little bit of a change up for you guys this week. But don't worry, we're going to talk about next week's artist right fucking now. Next week's artist and our newest in between, the song Light My Way by Audio Slave. their debut studio album by the American rock supergroup Audio Slave, released on November 15, 2002 by Epic Records and Interscope Records. The album Audio Slave uh, features hit singles such as Cochise, How to Live, Show Me How to Live, What You Are, Like a Stone, and I Am the Highway. The album was later certified three times platinum by the RIAA in the United States. Like a Stone was nominated for the 2004 Grammy Awards for the Best Hard Rock Performance. Next week is Audio Slave. We're going to talk about everything with Audio Slave. We're going to talk about why it is that uh, Zach De La Rocha left Rage Against the Machine, why it is that they got in contact with Chris Cornell and created this crazy, amazing supergroup that combines the ridiculousness and the intense and aggressive sound of Rage Against the Machine with Chris Cornell's screeching, amazing, beautiful vocals and how they created a band that is a multi-platinum selling machine that Audio Slave is coming out of the rubble of Soundgarden and Chris Cornell's not really his crumble of his solo career but somewhere along the lines of that and we're going to talk about it all. I'm super excited for next week's episode and I'm hoping you guys are as well. Thank you guys for sticking around and listening with us. Uh, today's episode was interesting to say the least I know it's a little bit shorter of an episode but um, there wasn't a whole lot of information surprisingly on uh, a day to remember they have uh, the information they gave out but I guess because they are a pop punk band they are a metalcore band they're harder to 
find info on. So I did what I could. I did what I, I, I found what I found, and I tried to present it as the best way possible. I'm trying not to bore you guys so much with, uh, oh, they went on tour here, and they did other things here. Uh, I'm trying to give you guys the facts, the information, the most entertaining way possible. I know it got a little weird last week with that whole iced tea voice. I apologize for that. But uh, we're going to find new and interesting ways to present you guys with this information the best way possible. Um, if you haven't checked out the YouTube yet, the easiest way, literally the easiest way to support this podcast and this media conglomerate thing that we're doing here is to go and follow and like all of our shit. If you don't already do it now, definitely do it on here. You'll get uh, notifications when we upload a new podcast each time the new episode comes up. Whether you're listening on iTunes, you're listening on SoundCloud, on uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, subscribe, like, do all that stuff. Leave a review. Uh, Five stars are great. If you don't think we're worthy of five stars, I get it, but any rating would be awesome. The more ratings and the more uh, comments and stuff like that we get the more opportunity we're allowed to climb up charts of different uh, groupings of podcasts so we might pop up on a music podcast chart one day and that is the hope and that can only happen if you the listener help us out I can only do so much just giving out that information it is your job and I ask you and I thank you ahead of time for liking and subscribing telling your friends about the podcast liking the stuff on Instagram, liking the pages, going to our website, checking that out, donating if you feel like it, but you don't have to. Definitely check out our Amazon link. Uh, You can do all of your regular shopping there, but if you go through our link through our website, we get a little bit of a kickback from your final purchase without any extra, any extra, any extra uh, uh, additional cost to you. Um, we got some other things in the works soon. Um, if you guys have checked us out on YouTube, you'll see that upcoming, I'm going to be learning how to play guitar. Like I talked about on last week's episode, um, I just ordered some new parts for that said guitar and I'm going to actually try and do a video on how to put this shit together. We're going to find out how that goes. So go check that out on YouTube once it's released. Um, But for those of you listening to the audio version of this podcast, which obviously right now, if you've gotten this far in the podcast, you are only on the audio because we don't do this shit on YouTube because, you know, YouTube's kind of a dick with their copyright laws. Um, Yeah, thank you guys for listening. This last little end part kind of gets me rambly a little bit, but I'm not too worried about it. Uh... (laughs) I will see you guys next week with uh, Audio Slave. And uh, until then, keep it between the headphones.